right. So welcome to the Michael Slate Show. That is Decisions from Outer National. And we have decisions on our hands today to make. And the question you heard in that song, Will You Be There?, will be posed throughout the hour. As the astute listener will notice, I am not Michael Slate. He is out this week, but he will be back next week. And uh, he has a great show planned for you next week. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. My name is Sansara Taylor, and I am a longtime friend, comrade uh, of Michael Slate, a frequent guest on this show, and somebody who actually was nurtured in my own radio host broadcasting at WBAI and WPFW in New York and D.C., respectively, by Michael Slate, so I'm very honored to be able to sit in for him today as a host and uh, and also a bit of a guest, and we're going to be talking about the abortion rights emergency, the absolute emergency facing women's fundamental right to abortion. For those of you who are not familiar with me, in addition to broadcasting on the radio at WBAI and WPSW and being a good friend of Michael, um, I'm a follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian, somebody fighting for the emancipation of all of humanity. I'm the co-host of the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, which broadcasts every Thursday night at youtube.com slash the revcoms. And I am recently the key initiator of a new movement, which we're going to be getting into tonight, called RiseUpForAbortionRights.org. It's got the number four in the middle, RiseUpForAbortionRights.org. And we are bringing people together in this emergency movement from very different political perspectives, ideological perspectives, life backgrounds, and walks of life, looking at the fact that right now the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, is on track to gut or completely overturn women's fundamental right to abortion, to decide for themselves when and whether to have a child, and that this right being taken away is would force women to have children against their will, which is a form of enslavement. It is a barbaric, patriarchal form of control, violent control over women's lives, in the most intimate way and in the most life-impacting way, by a patriarchal state driven by a Christian fascist theocratic agenda. And already we see the state of Texas, abortion has been banned there since last September. Six million women of childbearing age are without any meaningful access to legal abortion in that state, which is a huge state. And that's a harbinger, a bellwether for the future. In Mississippi, there is a 15-week abortion ban that is being contested all the way up to the Supreme Court. It's an unconstitutional abortion ban. It violates Roe v. Wade, the landmark decision that first legalized abortion rights in 1973. It, this abortion ban on Mississippi violates it blatantly, as does the Texas ban. And yet the Supreme Court, which is now packed with fascist judges, some who were preceding Trump, but three of whom were appointed by Trump and now make up a solid majority of the highest court in the land, indicated in a hearing last December that over this Mississippi abortion ban that they are inclined to and on track to eviscerate Roe v. Wade and abortion rights in their ruling on this Mississippi ban that's expected by late spring. So to boil this down and to put it in very simple terms, we are facing a ticking time bomb a ticking time bomb set to be detonated by the U.S. Supreme Court in a matter of months that would explode women's 
fundamental rights to control their bodies, their lives, their destinies, and to be deemed legally as full human beings, not incubators. And yet there is silence and calm across this land. There's acceptance and going along and ignorance. Most people in this country, and I, and I would imagine, I would wager many of you tuning in right now, don't even know that this fundamental right is on the chopping block. Because it's not being talked about by the Democrats. I mean, it's heavy. Biden, among other outrageous things during his recent State of the Union, at this moment when women's fundamental right to abortion, so central to whether women will be deemed as full human beings or incubators, property of men, baby-making machines, things to be controlled and subjugated, when this right is on the line, endangered as never before, Biden couldn't even say the word. He didn't even utter the word during the State of the Union, and he's never uttered the word abortion once during any public appearance or speech the entire time he's been in office. So the Democrats are not sounding the alarm on this. They're not waging a fight. They're rolling over. They're capitulating. They're changing the subject. So most people don't know. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the so-called women's movement, the official so-called leaders of the so-called women's movement who are so enslaved to this system and to the Democratic Party, who are representatives of this system, that they themselves are also capitulating. They also are not sounding the alarm or waging a fight. They are preparing people. If you look at their literature, and we'll get into this in the course of this hour, they're preparing people for a, to accept a post-Roe America, to accept the loss of abortion rights in this country. And they dress it up in different ways. Sometimes they say, oh, you know, we're passing proactive legislation in a few areas so that when Roe, when Roe v. Wade falls, we can still have abortion rights protected in California or New York or a few other places. But that's predicated on when Roe falls, accepting that Roe v. Wade and abortion rights are going to fall nationally. It's predicated on foreclosing and coughing up the millions of women who will be affected and girls by loss of abortion rights across the country. And then narrowly selfishly, disgustingly narrowly, trying to protect it for a few women in a few places. Ignorant not only of the the cost of so many women's lives foreclosed, but also of the reality that if this Christian fascist juggernaut of female enslavement and all-around theocracy is not defeated, if it's not decisively fought against and defeated through mass struggle in the streets, then it will just be a matter of time before these restrictions make it to California and make it to New York and make it to other places. So However, these so-called leaders dress it up. Sometimes they say, oh, we're going to teach women how to induce their own abortions. We'll get them the abortion pill through the mail, as if that's going to come anything close to helping the millions and millions of women who will need it. And as if it doesn't matter if the law and the state says that women are not fully, legally full human beings. And sometimes they say, oh, well, we're going to raise money and help women travel to another state as abortion gets foreclosed in their states. And again, this is pitiful. And it all is predicated on accepting and bowing down to the fascist assault on this fundamental right being ripped away. So what we're going to get into in this hour, and we're going to begin, I'll, I'll introduce how we're going to start it in just a second. We're going to get into the fight that is being waged by RiseUpForAbortionRights.org to get people into the streets, to draw a lesson from the experience of the women in Colombia, in Argentina, in Mexico, in Poland, around the world, 
who have flooded the streets in massive protests, relentless protests, not one day and go home, but again and again to make what seemed impossible the day before possible through the struggle of the people. And there are major protests being planned this upcoming Tuesday, International Women's Day, a day when all around the world, and for many generations now, people have stood up and fought and declared and celebrated the struggle to break all the chains on women, the revolutionary struggle for the liberation of women. This International Women's Day needs to be marked and is going to be marked by outpourings of people standing up against the, the leading edge of female enslavement and violence, which is this state-backed assault on women's fundamental right to abortion. So across the country, riseupforabortionrights.org has protests listed to get us into this and to bring alive the stakes. We're going to play some audio from what was a truly extraordinary speak out for abortion rights at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City that then was followed by a nonviolent civil disobedience where seven of us, I was one of them, got arrested and, and went to jail, standing up for abortion rights. And you're going to hear testimony from people who lived through illegal abortions, who, who have fought for this right in different ways. So let's listen to some of these voices, then we'll come back and I'll, and I'll introduce our guest and we'll take our time to get into this. In 1962, I was a young actor in New York studying in Lee Strasberg's professional classes. And I lived in a building in a six-floor walk-up, and I still live in a six-floor walk-up, a different one, on West 10th Street. And on the third floor was this very exotic woman. She was a cabaret performer. She had jet black hair, and I used to go hear her at the Blue Angel on 8th Street. One morning, she called me at 6.30, and she said, Jim, would you come down here right now? I went down. She still had an apartment with a bathtub in the kitchen. You have to be old enough like me to understand those days. I looked at her, and it was full of red water. She said, you must go to the, the drugstore and get me maximum strength Kotex. Now, you have to understand what that meant to this young gay man. I was embarrassed. I had, those were women's things over there. But I did it, and I came back, and she was dead. Dead, because she had had a botched abortion over in what was the meat market at that time. And she had no choice, no choice. And from that moment on, I understood more today than then, that the very same institutions, the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, etc., all the religious fanatics that, that want to think they can control me, can control my, my choices about my body, made me affected by what had happened to her. Uh, we have a very special guest. She's flown here from San Antonio to testify about being denied an abortion after a br brutal gang rape when she was a teenager. I went to the, to the, the office with the nurse. I challenged, what happened to me? The, 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 that guys from the school raped me. I need help because I can't have a child. They say, no. The babies have protection. You don't have rights. So I don't say my parents. I go to the street. I go with my baby. I was in the street. 
I said, where are the people who make the laws? Where are they? I want to hear, to help me, to lend me my rights, to lend me my shoes. But no, they are machistas. When I, when I saw my kid grow up and watching me and telling me, Mom, who is my dad? You know, I told, and that's stupid laws, and that's a stupid men who made the law, who don't think, and really, woman, we can't carry that. So how I said, my son, you are from different men. I don't know who is your daddy because I was raped. You know, and now, now I, I want to cry hard, 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 because I am very angry. Because the law don't protect really the women. I am, I have rights. I decide in my body. I decide if I, if I have that child. I decide if I am in conditions to have that kid. So I'm gonna bring up Sansara Taylor, who is the final speaker of today's speak out. She's the co-host of the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show, follower of the revolutionary leader Bob Avakian, host and producer of We Only Want the World on WBAI and WPFW, and an initiator of Rise Up for Abortion Rights. So give it up for Sensaya Taylor. This fascist program of control over women relies on us cowering in the silence that they heap on us. And today, at this moment when Roe v. Wade, the right to abortion nationwide, hangs in the balance, we have to say the truth here. This silence is being aided and abetted by the so-called leaders of the so-called women's movement, who are telling you that you can do nothing but roll over and accept the obliteration of Roe v. Wade. Whatever they call this, however they dress it up, this is capitulation. And the fact that this so-called women's movement and the people of this country did not flood the streets in fury, did not shut down every freeway, did not walk out of every school, did not bring this society to a halt when the state took away the right to abortion to six million women of childbearing age in Texas last September. This is shameful. This is shameful. And this stops now. This stops today. Because when we rise, when we dare, when we back it up with our bodies on the line and the God's honest truth, then we are right. Right is on our side and they are wrong and the shame belongs on them. When we put it on the line, we can summon a force and call forward a force that is a match for these fascist women haters that is a match for these dark ages shame throwers, that is a match for these pompous patriarchal politicians who have no right to tell a woman what to do with her body and her life. This fury, 
this unbridled, unrestrained fury of millions and millions of women rising up and rebelling against thousands and thousands of years of tradition's chains. This fury is a force that can shake the whole society and it can change the whole world. And that is what we aim to do. Yes, this is going to take a fight. And yes, it is going to take sacrifice. And yes, at times it's gonna be scary. But I say look at the women of Colombia. They won the decriminalization of abortion in a Catholic country, in a patriarchal repressive state. They won it what tipped the tide is when they looked at the women of Argentina who are raising this green bandana and filling the streets with their fury relentlessly, courageously, in the face of sacrifice, and they won the right to abortion. In the streets, March 8th, we will puncture the silence, we will wake up millions more, and then we will go to work together to do the hard but necessary and inspiring work to spark and spread and organize tens of thousands more and ultimately millions in a movement massive enough, righteous enough, defiant and relentless enough that we sweep across this country and make clear to the fascists on the Supreme Court and women haters everywhere that if they try to take this right away, their society will be prevented from functioning it at all. This is Michael Slate, and I want to mention that the show you're hearing was recorded before nationwide protests on International Women's Day, March 8th. But, as Sansara Taylor and her guest are saying, these actions are not a one-off. They are the beginning of a movement in the streets to demand abortion on demand and without apology. All right, so you've been listening to voices from a very powerful speak-out for abortion rights that was then followed immediately after that speech that you just heard, which was given by myself. The whole protest went and flooded the streets, shut down the street in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral, Fifth Avenue, Busy Avenue in New York City, and seven of us were arrested. It was a nonviolent civil disobedience and speak out to sound the alarm on the emergency facing women's fundamental right to abortion and to let people know and summon and inspire them and challenge them, including everybody listening, to get in the streets on March 8th. This is an emergency, and for everybody, if you're not standing up when the Supreme Court has made clear they are coming for abortion rights, if you're not standing up fighting against this, then you are choosing the enslavement of women through forced motherhood. So that's the challenge. And in just a moment, I'll bring a guest down who is part of the local organizing planning group and ad hoc committee in Los Angeles to talk more about this. All right, so that is Michael Slate, and now I would love to bring on our guest. Skyler is a organizer, a lead organizer in the Rise Up for Abortion Rights movement in Los Angeles. Skyler, welcome to the Michael Slate Show. Hi, Sansara. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to have you with us. So I wanted to ask you first, um, you've probably heard those presentations before that we played, but some of the voices from the Speak Out in New York last weekend... And I just wanted to ask you if you wanted to react to to how you felt listening to them, why, what you learned about why this is so important, this question of abortion rights. I know you felt it strongly to get involved in the first place, but I think everybody felt it on a deeper level through through experiencing those testimonies. So I want to start with that. Um, yeah, thank you. That uh, listening to those testimonies, um, as many times as I have, they they never 
they they never become less heartbreaking. Uh, they're so powerful and so moving, and that's the reality for millions of women uh, in Texas, uh, soon to be Florida and Mississippi and, and Tennessee, and and it's tragic. This a lot of people when they think about over over overruling Roe v. Wade. They think, oh, that's in the future. That could never happen. You know, that's just in another state with the red state problem. And it's not. It's happening today. It's happening right now. And and the Supreme Court is deciding our fate as we speak. And they will be and they will be issuing an opinion within a few months. And and they have leaned towards overruling Roe. And that is going to look like a lot of dead women. So tell me about um, why you got involved in the committee to plan for the International Women's Day protest. Right. So uh, as you've mentioned earlier, the pro-choice groups, multitude of politicians, they've already taken on an attitude of preemptive capitulation. So they're just saying, sit tight, wait, you know, we'll plan for a post-Roe world. And that just doesn't work for me. I I had my own abortion and, and it saved my life. It gave me a chance to life. And I, I recognize how vital this piece of healthcare is. And a lot of people don't know this, but the reason that Roe v. Wade got passed in the first place, it's not because we had a feminist Supreme Court. It's not because we had a feminist president or a feminist Congress. It's because people were consistently out in the streets making as much noise as possible, demanding this fundamental human right. And we've seen it in Colombia. We've seen it in Poland. We've seen it in Argentina. This is something that works. And yes, it is important for those groups to be spending time in our court systems fighting the legal battles. And it is important to be writing our senators and getting involved in politics, but it is just as equally important to be out in the streets. And that's why we are activating anyone who can get out to join us to demand that abortion remain safe, legal, and on demand and without apology. Yeah, I think that's important. You know, a lot of people have been, I've been hearing people say, well, you know, it's on a Tuesday, it's during the day, I support it, but you know, I'm not sure I can make it. And I think I think about the stories that we heard, the testimonies we just played, the idea of taking off work early or walking out of school, that that is too big a sacrifice to stop the outright shattering of millions and millions of women and girls' lives and the accelerating of a whole direction of fascist assault on women in an all-around dimension, but also on LGBTQ rights and the whole juggernaut. Look Look at what this... The whole package is connected to the suppression of voter rights, the destruction of the planet and science and any acknowledgement of climate change. There's this whole fabric of really fascistic and, and outright fascist program that this assault on abortion rights is a battering ram and a leading edge of. And so it's the lives of all these women and girls for generations, but it's also the whole direction. And I just wonder, you know, to me, I find it completely um, almost contemptible to think that, oh, a little disruption is too much to ask. There's a question of the future of direct direction of society and humanity that all of us are responsible for. And so I wonder what you want to say to people about why it's worth it, in your view, to, to rearrange your schedule, to get out there, and not only to get out there yourself, but to, to challenge and mobilize others to get out there. Because what difference does it make? 
Right. That's a great point. Um, and, and something that I've been discussing with people in the streets as we've been doing outreach is, you know, if you can't afford to sacrifice a few hours of your day, how can you expect a woman or a person that is pregnant to sacrifice their entire lives for a child? Because that is one heck of a time suck that babies are and children are. And so if you can't even hold yourself accountable for a few hours, how are you going to hold someone else accountable for the rest of their, their lives? And if you are choosing to stay silent, then you are choosing that that person's life does not matter and that you are okay with, with, forced, female, with forced motherhood and female enslavement. So those are the stakes. And, and we need people out there. We need voices. This is not, this is not just a white women's issue. This is, this is not something that is, you know, um, we're, we're, we're being overly reactionary. This is real. And, and as you stated earlier, um, you know, they're not going to stop with red states and conservatives. They are not and anti-choicers. They are not going to stop with just overturning Roe. Just two weeks ago in the Florida State Senate, they had already begun discussing a full ban on birth control, and there's already been uh, legislation in the works to create a bill that would be a fetal personhood bill. So that would mean that a cluster of cells with no organs and, and no heart, no brain would have more rights than the human, the live human that it is residing inside of. And that's just, that's disgusting and heartbreaking, and we cannot let that stand. So, people, we, we need to get out there. We need to make our voices heard, because if we don't speak out, no one's going to listen. I think that's, uh, I think that's well put. Another dimension I think is helpful for people to understand and think about is the difference it makes on March 8th, to be in the same place, to raise your voice, put your body together with others in the same place at the same time that people are doing across the country. Because it's it's not a, the whole mission of Rise Up for Abortion Rights is not a one-off. It's not a one-time protest to get, to, to get it off your chest and say, I don't like what's being done. Now they know, and I'm back to my life. It's actually this protest and part of the point of making it as powerful as possible, where every single person who chooses to come is making a difference in that impact, is that it's aimed at waking up and challenging not the Supreme Court itself or the or the politicians and the rulers per se. It's aimed at waking up and challenging the millions and millions of people who rely on abortion rights and who don't want to see a world where women are enslaved to wake them up and move them, because that's the force that can actually change this. Um, that rela relates to what you're drawing from Colombia and Argentina. I'm just curious if you want to bring that alive more as you understand it or add to that, or maybe you want to differ with it. But I think that there's, there's a, a different concept of not just a protest, but of massive resistance that I think might be good to, it, 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 to fit International Women's Day into that strategy, that program, that bigger program. Exactly. Uh, as you said, this is not a one-off. This is not just getting out into the streets and saying, like, don't do this, and then going back home and feeling good about yourself. That's not going to work. A one-off is not what's going to make people listen. This is just the beginning. This is a opening party, if you will, of sustained action that we are going to be taking 
to let politicians know, let the Supreme Court know that they cannot take away our rights. Because if we don't create a global crisis, if we do not sound the alarm loudly and consistently, we won't be able to back those people into the corner to do what's right by us. And so, um, you know, people have never been to a protest before. Uh, The energy that is in that crowd is so beautiful. It is so empowering. It is so emboldening. And, and it, it moves you in a way that, that just talking about it doesn't, that just watching it on social media or on TV or wherever, um, it, it doesn't hit the same. And, and it, it really does light a fire within your soul to get involved. And that's what we want to do. We want people to be so inspired and emboldened to take consistent action to speak out for human rights and for the right to abortion. Um, so that's a little bit about what March 8th really is going to be. You know, there was a, a number of young women who came to their first protest uh, when we had that speak out last weekend um, in New York. And what you were just saying brought this to my mind, because one of them said, I was nervous about coming to a protest. I've never been a very angry person. I've never been, I've always been a little passive, but I figured I care about women and I have to show up at some point. So she came and then a bunch of these other young women were talking and one after the other, they all said, you know, I was a little nervous too. I'm not that angry. I'm not that angry. And then finally it got to this 14 year old and she said, well, I guess I come at this differently. She goes, I'm really angry. I'm finally found a productive place to put it, this anger. And um, what was interesting is as the discussion went on, all these women, who young women who were part of this discussion, who had said, I'm not that angry, I've never been that loud, they said not only were they felt right at home in this protest and welcomed in, and, and all of what you described is what brought this to mind, but they, they started to say, you know, if I'm really being honest, I'm pretty angry, as it turns out, I'm pretty angry too. And there is a suppressed fury that actually, you know, people shouldn't be afraid to come out and stand with others, and, and it's exactly as you said, it's a it, it's different when you're with others, and it, it's different because it matters, because you're doing something that matters. You're not a spectator, you're, you're an actor on the stage of history. Um, and you change yourself and you change others through doing so. I wondered, I just wanted to share that because I, w- I, thought, I thought it was well put and very inviting and challenging in a good way, the way you describe what it's like to be at this kind of thing. I want to ask you to talk about the green scarf. You could explain what it means and, and why the movement is using it. Right. So uh, the green scarf was a symbol used in Colombia. Uh, they, uh, if you look at the pictures, they are stunning. It. It really, it really paints a picture of just how empowering this movement is. And so we are uh, kind of taking up the mantle, so to speak, from Colombia. And we are also wearing the green scarf and wearing green in support and in solidarity for abortion rights. And that's, that's becoming a universal symbol for, for uh, protecting and defending abortion rights. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was reading this article um, in RevCom.us, which is the website, that is the voice of the revolution in this country, the Revcoms, and I write for it and others, about the the arc of the struggle in Colombia. And that for many years there were clinics being opened to help women who had, you know, botched illegal abortions or were trying to survive. Then there was legal clinics that opened up to try to pass legislation and, and fight lawsuits to decriminalize abortion. And this went on for decades, and it was important work. But they said what really changed the tide there is when there was what they called the green wave in Argentina. 
where women in Argentina took up the the green scarf and at one point had a million women in the in the streets and they came back again and again and again relentlessly and actually legalized abortion there in 2020. And the women of Colombia said that we have to add this, we have to do this. And they started going in the streets and very quickly that's what opened up the the floodgates to their victory. And I think that experience is so counter to what people in this country are inclined to do. And that is part of why we, we're we going in reverse here and, and instead of forward. They're going forward and we're going in reverse precisely because because people are, are sitting at home. So I think that symbol means a great deal. And then for anybody who's not on social media or is going, what is a DM? You can email info at riseup4abortionrights.org. That's riseup4abortionrights.org. And then the uh, national email address will put you guys in touch. So we have a quick song. We're going to take a musical interview. The band Betty, I want to say this about this song we're going to play, is going to be performing at the New York City March 8th International Women's Day protest. Uh, the formerly Eve Ensler will be there. The actor Kathy Nadimi will be there. Reverend Jackie Lewis of Middle Church will be there. I will be a speaker. There's Merle Hoffman, who is the CEO and founder of Choices Women's Medical Center, a, a clinic that has done abortions for over 50 years. She's also an author and activist. There's going to be an incredible, incredible breadth of speakers and participants. And Betty, the band, is one of them. And this is from Betty. It is called Rise. If one woman hurts, if one woman cries, if one man bleeds, rise. Up, get up, dance, up, get up, sing, up, get up, change everything. Up, get up, dance, up, get up, sing, up, get up, change everything. Silence must stop. Violence must end, broken body and spirit will rise again. Strength in numbers, take a stand. Right the wrongs, don't ask a man. If one woman hurts, if one woman cries, if one man bleeds, rise, rise. Up, get up, dance, up, get up, sing, up, get up. So you are listening to the Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansar Taylor, and I'm the guest host this week, subbing in for Michael Slate. He'll be back next week, and he is going to, next week, I want to let you know, he's going to be telling you about and bringing you an interview on the play, which is at the Fountain Theater, called Detained. And he'll be getting into that next week, interviewing people from the play. And Michael says it's an incredible play, so you're going to want to tune back in next week and, and find out about Detained from the Fountain Theater. This week, what we are talking about is International Women's Day, March 8th, a day around the world and throughout history now for at least 100 years where people have stood up 
and declared their determination and celebrated the struggle of women to break all the chains, women's contribution to revolution and the revolutionary need for everybody to fight for the liberation of women. So uh, our guest today is Skylar, and she is a member of the Ad Hoc Committee in Los Angeles of Rise Up, number four, abortionrights.org, who is holding a protest on March 8th, International Women's Day, to demand the Supreme Court not deny women's humanity and decimate their rights and to protect abortion and win abortion on demand without apology. This is part of nationwide protests that are being held by Rise Up for Abortion Rights. I'm an initiator of that movement. I'm also a co-host of the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash the rest comes. And we did a killer episode last night that includes great uh, coverage of this question as well as on the Ukraine. So I want to invite you to go watch that at YouTube. Dot com slash the Rev Toms. My name is Samsara Taylor, and let's take just a few more minutes with Skylar. On, I have two questions for you I want to touch on before we run out of time here. One is, concretely, in addition to joining the organizing meeting tonight over Zoom, concretely, what are some of the ways that you've been getting the word out uh, about March 8th, and what are the ways that people listening who want to spread the word could be part of organizing on their own, taking this up and contributing in these last four days? Right. That's a great question. So some of the ways that uh, myself and some of the other organizers for the March 8th protest have been building momentum is we've been getting out in the streets and having conversations with people over the past two weeks. And we've also been um, distributing some coat hangers with stories of women from pre-Row era, uh, women who unfortunately died from, from illegal botched abortions when, when um, safe legal abortions were not, not easily accessible with information about the protest and the movement. And something I found very interesting uh, while doing this community outreach is just how so many people don't know what's going on in the Supreme Court right now. And and um, just just how the media and and pro-choice groups have have really done us a disservice by by not putting this out there and, and making making this potential violation of human rights uh, not the forefront of of the news. And so we've been getting out there. We've been having conversations and 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 trying to trying to get the word out as best possible and do some education as well um, and dismantle some myths about abortion as well as getting involved. So if anyone is interested in this, if you're local, you can follow Rise for Abortion Rights LA on social media, and you can join our ad hoc committee to start planning. Or uh, if that's that's, uh, not possible for you, share our posts, share your abortion story, and, and share why this is important to you. Have conversations with your friends. Have conversations with your family. Have conversations with the random person at the coffee shop. You know, we need to be talking about this. We need to be educating people about the real emergency that is happening. And also uh, debunk some of these really common myths going on. And if anyone who is not local to Los Angeles is interested in getting more involved as well, uh, you can always start your own chapter, which is uh, something that I've been working on in Los Angeles, is starting a new chapter. And if you go to Rise Up, the number four, abortionrights.org, there's more information there about how you can get a chapter started. And and it's really easy. All you have to 
really have is, is you have to agree with, with our statement that abortion should be on demand and without apology, and we need to get out into the streets and make some noise for this. Yeah, and, you know, there's a relationship. This is something that the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian, pointed out years ago that I've always returned to and learned from. He said there's a relationship between resistance and education. Because everybody's awash with so much information, it's hard to track everything. Nobody can track everything. But when you, when something really matters, this is an emergency that's gonna that really concentrates the enslavement of half of humanity, denying the right to abortion, forcing women to have children against their will, is a form of enslavement. And we're right on the cusp of this being imposed in a massive way, or a big advance towards that nationwide. It's something that that people need to act on and be educated about, exactly like you're saying. But the more that people act and stand up, the more that people manifest on March 8th from different perspectives, different walks of life, but manifesting same time and place, showing up, wearing the green bandana, and standing together, that calls more people's attention in. And it makes other people more curious and want to know what it is that these people who are standing up feel so strongly about that I need to find out about. It makes people more receptive to the education and so that it's not something that you're just one by one forever patiently trying to have this same conversation over and over again. You're jolting people. You're waking them up. That's the effect of the coat hanger, too. People don't know what the coat hanger means, but that was the wire hanger. It was used by thousands and thousands of women. They untwisted the wire. They inserted it into their vagina, and they hoped that it would induce an abortion and not puncture their uterus and cause them to bleed out or get a septic infection and die. And many, many women died because they were so they were willing to roll the dice with their lives because the alternative was worse. Forced motherhood, it forecloses lives. It destroys lives. It traps women in abuse. It, it drives women into poverty. It forces them to drop out of school. It just crushes their spirit and their dreams no matter where their life circumstances are. If they don't want a child and you're forced to have a child, it's a nightmare. So this wire coat hanger, getting that out there, making people talk about it, making people think and confront the stakes, and then calling them into the streets and being in the streets on March 8th itself is going to be a jolt to wake up more people and call more people forward. So it really makes a difference. I wonder if there's um, anything else you want to sort of a final invitation or challenge to people listening to, to join you tonight or come out on Tuesday. Right. Um, so... Another thing that I've been hearing a lot on the streets is, oh, I agree with you, but I agree with you, but I don't want to get involved. I agree with you, but I don't have anything to say. I agree with you, but, and all I'm hearing is I don't really care enough about this hurting people because it's not directly impacting me right now. And my challenge to that is, it may not be affecting you right now, but it will affect you later. It will affect your daughters and your sisters and your mothers and, and your aunties and everyone else in your life. And if we really started digging deeper and being open, we all know and love someone that has had an abortion. There, have been mil- there are millions of women that have benefited from this life-saving health care and and we cannot and we will not let that be taken away. And if you are silent, if you are one of those people that say, I, I agree, but you are you are you are allowing the, the enslavement of women, you are agreeing that the Supreme Court can take away 
our fundamental right to abortion and our right to our bodies. And something that I've been discussing with people that a lot of people don't know is, is we have bodily autonomy laws in the U.S., and that means that no one can use your organs, your body, your blood, your marrow without your consent, even if you are dead and it would save countless people's lives for that donation without consent, they cannot use your, your, your body. And a fetus, an embryo is using your body without consent. So what we are saying is that women and people with uteruses have less rights than a corpse. Hmm. And if that's something that you can allow, and I, I don't, I don't truly believe that people are okay with that. And, and so we, we have to speak out. There is no but. Even if it's just sending the occasional email to politicians, even if it's, you know, making some phone calls, whatever you can do, you know, there's, there's no small parts. There's only small actors. And so every little bit counts. So please, this is a dire situation. You have to speak up because it will affect you and it will affect people that you love. Well, Skylar, I want to thank you for making the time to come on the Michael Slate Show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Sansara. It's been a pleasure. And also, thank you for the work you're doing. And again, for everybody, March 8th, for International Women's Day, to show up in the streets, stand up, be counted, don't choose the enslavement of women, don't give your consent to the Supreme Court obliterating this fundamental right, show up, be counted. Thank you for tuning in and joining me this hour for the Michael Slate Show. My name is Sara Taylor. It's been my great honor to be his guest host. I want to thank Gary Baca for engineering, and we will uh, talk soon and get out there and raise some help. Now we have some time left, so I'd like to play the introduction to an important program that you can access online. Revolution Books New York City hosted a forum on war in Ukraine. What is happening? Why it's happening? Where do the interests of humanity lie? And what does it have to do with the revolution humanity so urgently needs? With Andy Z and Raymond Lada, the entire program is available on revolutionbooksnyc.org. We're going to hear the introduction by Andy Z. This the illegitimate, the illegal, the brutal invasion of Ukraine by Russia and how the U.S. and the Western powers respond is a major shaping event whose impact should not be underestimated. All wars are full of uncertainty, calculation and miscalculation. And with the Russia and the U.S. possessing 8,000 nuclear weapons with the possibility of destroying the earth and much of life on it, the danger is truly profound. This must not be underestimated. There is at the same time the danger of how people here in the United States, as well as around the world, are being fed a dangerous ideological poison of American chauvinism. A way of thinking that leads people to see their interests bound up with a system that exploits, oppresses, and terrorizes the people of the world. A system which has created a myth of America as the land of the free, the land of opportunity, with freedom and justice for all, when the brutal, the bitter reality is that this country is founded on the genocide of the native peoples and the theft of their land and the theft of one-third of Mexico through a bloody war. This is a country whose startup wealth was from the enslavement of African people and the continued super-exploitation and oppression of black people and people of color ever since, right down to today. 
This is a country that claims to welcome the tired, the poor, the huddled masses, and then has built up its wealth through the demonization, deportation, and incarceration of immigrants. This is a country with the largest prison population in the world, a country where women throughout its history have been treated as second-class citizens and who today are subject to rape, sexual violence, degradation, and now are on the brink of losing the fundamental right to abortion, without which their bodies, their lives, their futures will be enslaved to the state. A country where LGBTQ people have just won some of the most basic rights which now hang in the balance and stand to be taken away. A country which is by far the largest polluter of the earth. The US has waged wars, invaded, staged coups all around the world for most of its existence. All the God bless Americas that are uttered by those who rule over the people of this country should give pause to think about what kind of God would create such a monstrous system and then scientifically see the light that this is not some imaginary God that created this horror, but the system we live under, capitalism, imperialism, a system whose time needs to be and can be up. To get at the heart of America, the good guys, I want to show a short film clip from Bob Avakian from a speech he gave in 2017, The Trump-Pence Regime Must Go, uh, this is a film against that fascist Trump-Pence regime. That whole movement is seeking to come back to, into power today. And there's a lot in that film, which you can see at Revcom.us or on the YouTube channel uh, at the Revcoms, uh, where our show is uh, hosted. Uh, and then we're going to show a short clip from that that's going to be followed by uh, a short uh, excerpt of a piece that Bob Avakian just wrote called Shameless American Chauvinism, Anti-Authoritarianism as a cover for supporting U.S. imperialism that was uh, created in, as a visual uh, message by the crew of the RNL show. So if we could play those that now, but why don't we turn down. One of the biggest obstacles standing in the way and weighing people down is American chauvinism. The disgusting notion that America and Americans are better and more important than everybody else. This is a poison infecting people broadly in this country, even among the bitterly oppressed. And there is a great need for people to break with this American chauvinism. Free yourself from the GTF, the great tautological fallacy, a fallacy an idea or way of thinking that is false, wrong. A tautology, a round in a circle way of reasoning that asserts something and then claims to prove it by merely asserting the same thing again. So the great tautological fallacy to which I am referring is the notion that America is a force for good in the world. And therefore, whatever it does is good, or at least done with good intentions. Even if the same thing, when done by other forces, especially by forces opposed to us, is bad, is evil, because, because America is a force for good in the world. <laughs> Thus, in the grip of the great tautological fallacy, when one is told by the authorities and government and the media, etc., that North Korea developing a small number of nuclear weapons and a few long-range ballistic missiles 
poses a grave threat, one does not question. One does not ask why that is a grave threat, while the only country ever to use nuclear weapons, the United States, having thousands of nuclear weapons and the capability to use them anywhere in the world is somehow not a grave threat. For those of us who are not willing to be blinded by this GTF, we can and must confront and analyze reality as it actually is and draw the necessary conclusions. Besides the fact that the U.S. is today and has historically been allied with many authoritarian governments throughout the world, and in fact has forcibly installed such governments in many countries, the even more fundamental fact is that the essence of the conflict between the U.S. and countries like Russia and China is not one between democracy and authoritarianism, but is a matter of rivalry among imperialist powers, all of which are monstrous oppressors of masses of people, and none of which represent or act in the interest of humanity. What is called for, and urgently now, is to oppose all imperialist marauders and mass murderers, and all systems and relations of oppression and exploitation, while giving particular emphasis to opposing our own imperialist oppressors who commit their monstrous crimes in our name and seek to rally us to support them on the basis of a grotesque American chauvinism, which we must firmly reject and fiercely struggle against. No one with a shred of humanity should support Putin's aggression, his bloody invasion, and what seems to be his plan to occupy Ukraine. But it is worth repeating what is unfolding in the Ukraine is not the righteous struggle between the good guys, the forces for U.S.-style democracy versus the evil, even maniacal authoritarian autocracy of Putin. It is rather, as B.A. wrote and we just heard, quote, a matter of rivalry among imperialist powers all of which are monstrous oppressors of masses of people, and none of which represent or act in the interests of humanity. What is called for urgently now, as Bob Avakian said, is to oppose all imperialist marauders and mass murderers and all systems and relations of oppression and exploitation, while giving particular emphasis to opposing our own imperialist oppressors who commit their monstrous crimes in our name and seek to rally us to support them on the basis of a grotesque American chauvinism, which we must firmly reject and fiercely struggle against. Right now, all too many people in this country are scurrying their behinds up behind the U.S. ruling class and its monstrous military machine. Let me give an example from someone who I used to really like a lot. Little Steven, Little Stevie Van Zant, who plays Silvio Dante in The Sopranos and has been a part of Bruce Springsteen's uh, band since its inception. Little Stevie has succumbed in a grotesque manner to the GTF. And I know many of you younger people don't know that Little Steven was a very progressive musician. He uh, put out some great records and was a major force in creating a cultural movement against apartheid in South Africa. But here's what he's been running on Twitter. 
And it's, this has become a, a big deal because it's being discussed on the major news channels. This is just a small selection of these tweets, and I think it represents what all too many people think and must not be thinking. He tweeted, what happens if we destroy the Russian convoy and the forces encircling the cities with airstrikes or drones up front? What exactly does Russia do about it? Let's hear it. I'm just asking. How can we watch this madness and do nothing? We are better than him and stronger. Let's act like it. The world needs a police force. Until the UN is properly militarized, it has to be us. We who, little Stephen? Your boss, that is Springsteen, once wrote a song called Blinded by the Light. You now, unfortunately, are blinded and deluded about what kind of future the U.S. brings. In fact, as my colleague Raymond Lada will go into soon, the United States, with its IMF and World Bank and all of its arms and armies around the world, we enforce its own form of imperialist domination. And one more thing to little Stephen and anybody else who's at home thinking like, well, why don't they do this? Why don't they do, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? But to little Stephen, bravado on a TV show with Tony Soprano is one thing. But playing with two countries who hold 95% of the nuclear weapons in the world, with the US being the only country that has ever used it, not once, but twice, is beyond crazy. It is playing with fire that could consume everything. That was Andy Z with an introduction to War in Ukraine, a forum now available at revolutionbooksnyc.org. Write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. One way.